Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil. So glad to have you join us for this part two episode on making home discipleship take root in your church. With me is my friend and producer of Streamroots, John Blosser. John, welcome back. Thanks, man. Good to be here. <laughs> and we still have Luke Johnson here for part two. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that. It ended it with kind of this vision for home tools and helping you to, whatever your home looks like, to uh, get this paradigm shift there, this model for home discipleship with these tools. So Luke, I want to jump back into our discussion and I want to start with this question for you. So some nice how-tos and, and practical things there, but for our homes to be successful in the long term, right? how is the larger church discipleship paradigm supporting this? How does this work out into our local churches? Yeah, so that's I, th- I think that that's a really important question because it, I mentioned in the last episode there's a lot of literature coming out. Some of that is geared towards pastors on how to implement family worship. Some of it's geared towards homes on how to actually do it under your roof. Um, what's really important is that both happen. Um, if, if just people in your home are trying to do this on their own, it, it, it's not going to go as well as you know we want it to because they're going to be isolated from the support of the larger church body Um, but if the church is doing all of these things all of these family programs but it's not really taking root into people's homes then you know what are you really doing anyway and so it's so important that you know you know i talked about the home tools and how you know you practically uh, strategize for heads of homes to lead the people under their roof spiritually but the the partnership with the larger church discipleship model is really critical. And so for church leaders, I've got seven shifts that I think are really critical um, for helping your homes be successful. So uh, I call them church shifts. Church shift number one shift, okay. is home discipleship over programs. Is, is, is it, yep. So home discipleship over programs as the primary um, goal in what, or strategy for discipleship. Okay. So I, 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 I stutter a little bit because I'm not saying no to programs. Programs have a place. You need certain avenues for, to talk through the, the theory of this, the, the, the biblical, you know, paradigm and precedent and, and all of that. You need to have programs and a level of organization in your church but they should be serving and supporting the people in your church living out the Christian life when they're not on your campus. That's when they're in their homes. And, you know, hopefully that flows over into every other sphere of their life as well, like, you know, work or sports or whatever it is. So church shift number one is, is home discipleship over programs as your primary focus. If you want this to be successful, some guys might not, you know, agree with me and that's totally fine. You know, I'm not saying I got the end of all knowledge on this or anything at all. Um, so, I, so I do you think that this is important if you want? Yeah, go on. So what, what, what does that mean practically? What does that look like? 
Yeah, so um, what it looks like is uh, a pastor is going to have to decide what what programs um, does he want to hold on to and which ones might need to uh, be put down, so to speak. And, and, and so let's say uh, that you decide you want to keep a men's ministry and a women's ministry. We'll just use those. Well, okay. How is your men's ministry uh, serving to not just give a good Bible lesson to your men, but how is it being tailored to actually equip your men uh, to live as spiritual leaders in their homes? And so what I would recommend is that you, I mean, and this is going to have to involve your, your men's ministry leader as and, and any other men who are in the leadership team, um, but you're going to need to create a culture of, of transparency and openness, and this needs to be a regular topic of conversation in which uh, it, it is not uncommon for one man to ask another, uh, how, how are things going in your home? What kinds of things are you doing with your kids? I would like to learn. And so there's you know, a level of accountability, not in the sense of like kind of that, that old school of, you know, rate yourself and, you know, all, all that kind of thing, but there, there needs to be a level of we believe in this and we're in this together. And so we're going to encourage one another, support one another. And if you're being a slouch in your home, that's a big deal because your kids and your wife and, you know, everybody else is going to suffer because you're not, um, you're, you're not shepherding them like God has called you to. So the men's ministry would need to be um, uh, tailored to encourage and support the men to be spiritual leaders in their homes. Um, and, and there's a lot of different ways that you could make that look. So that, that, that would be one example of that. Got it. I like um, that. Good church shift number two. Yeah. Okay. Church shift number two is promoting intergenerational dynamics. Um, I, I am a big believer in everybody being together um, for the main gathering of your church. Um, uh, you know, again, I don't think it's sinful or something like that. If, if you don't, um, we currently, we, we do have classrooms for infants and, and toddlers. Um, but we, we are totally cool with toddlers and infants making a fuss in our main gathering because there's something very healthy about all of God's people being together. Um, that, that fosters kind of the family value. Uh, I think it's something that's encouraging for the older people to look and to see the next generation. I think that there's something healthy for, uh, younger people to see older people who have walked with the Lord for decades or, you know, maybe even as long as they've been alive and to see them opening their scriptures and singing unto the Lord. And so intergenerational dynamics are going to be really important in your local church structure to promote a value and a culture for a family, a family togetherness. Uh, church of number three is going to be targeting men. And that's similar to what I just talked about with the um, uh, the, the, the men's, um, ministry there. Um, but you know, there, there, there are stats out there that, um, when men become followers uh, of Christ, then, uh, the likelihood that the rest of the household becomes followers of Christ is 93% according to one survey, um, versus 17% if it's just the wife versus 3.5% if it's, if it's, if it's a kid. And, and so men, men are, are called by God to be spiritual leaders and they can be, they are, let me just say it like this, they are incredibly impactful, both either to form their families 
in the way of Christ or to be an incredible roadblock in their family walking with Christ. Mm. Um, they are impactful. Uh, I, I did a lot of counseling for a number of years with teenagers and the, the number of times that, that fathers played a significant role was really high. It was a really high percentage. So church has to target men, get their men on board to take the lead on this. Church shift number four is elevating home groups, uh, small groups, house groups, home groups, whatever, community groups, whatever group you want to call it. Um, but uh, when home groups uh, are elevated and, and centralized, uh, they become almost kind of this, this training ground for home discipleship. Because, uh, you know, okay, so you, you've got, say you got four couples that get together um, for a particular home group. They, maybe they rotate around to people's houses. Um, that's what I would encourage. Or maybe they just go to one person's house all the time. I would encourage rotating around. Uh, but, but when you do that, you get together and you get the opportunity to practice home discipleship in the context of other people. And the reason that I like, that I like rotating around to other homes is that you start to pick up on some other creative best practices out there in your local body. So maybe someone comes to my house and they see our digital picture frame and they ask about it. We talk about it. And maybe that's something that stirs their mind to maybe want to incorporate that in their house. Maybe when it's their turn to host, I go to their house and, and, and I see maybe something that they've done together as a family. Go, that's really cool. I would like to do that. We don't pick up everything, but we, we're always looking at how we can better lead our homes. And home groups can be a great way to see other ways that families are doing that. This is another reason that I like switching around, is that I'm a big proponent of families hosting together. And so you have the opportunity, even my nine-year-old and my seven-year-old, as, as wily as they are coming from my genes, they can still do things. They can hang up coats. They can open the door. They can tell a story about that's something that they're learning in, you know, their Bible curriculum at school. They can pick up the dishes, you know, from people. They can, they can be a part of hosting. And so it's this great training ground in home groups. And I think that's really a, a, a helpful shift for the church to make to value home discipleship. Um, another one, uh, church shift number five is strategic scheduling. Um, if churches aren't careful, we can, we can just dominate people's schedules to a degree that uh and and it's not it's not listen it's not just the churches it's the whole american system you know in which in which we've got travel sports we've got boards that we're a part of we've got you know whatever it is double working you know two income homes uh we've got we've got the play or the musical at school we've got tutoring we've got piano lessons and then the church also wants me to be at a home group wants me to be at a wednesday night programming wants me to be here at the service project and so the scheduling is just a problem all around for people. But the so because of that, the church should think through strategically how their schedules either uh, are conducive for families and home discipleship or potentially inhibiting it. And so that's going to be contextualized to each particular, you know, church. You know, everybody, you know, has the way that they're doing their schedule and whatnot. But I'm saying it's something that you need to be thoughtful about in the way that you go about your schedule. Church shift number four, specific training. Um, and so that is, you know, I said I'm not anti-program and I'm not. And so I'm looking for ways in which I can, uh, as the pastor, um, I believe that it is my job to take the lead at, at, at 
being up to speed on on what's going on in the world with technology with home discipleship stuff it you know i i get paid to read good books and it's such a sweet gig and so you know but if but if that's if if if, if the church is contributing so that i can have this sweet privilege then i better be responsible um to be a wise enough shepherd for them that i can disseminate that information to our people in a helpful uh, way so that they can see uh, the impact of technology on young people, or they can hear about best practices for, uh, you know, uh, spiritual in intentionality within their home. And then I need to think about ways of, of disseminating that, whether that's going to be a program that's on the campus, maybe it's going to be things like podcasts or YouTube videos. Um, maybe it's going to be a weekly email that I'm going to send out. What's, what's that? Stream roots. Stream roots. That's it. That's it. You know? I'm telling them that if they listen to stream roots, probably all of their problems are going to fade away within three to four weeks. You know? Let's not make promises we so can't keep. Specific training. <laughs> yeah. And then just real quick here, the last church shift is cultivating that culture. Um, it, it needs to be something that gets ingrained into the DNA of your people. And creating culture is a difficult thing. That takes time. That's not an overnight deal. This needs to be language that is that is regularly used. Um, it needs to be. It, that's why it needs to get into every every program and ministry that you have, because that's the only way that you're going to get this to take root in everybody, rather than being just another ministry. Uh, like your youth group or men's ministry or ABF or whatever it is. Uh, this is just another thing for the parents of the young kids. You don't want it to be that. You want this to be something that is who you are in your DNA. So those are some of the shifts that I think a church needs to think through. Maybe you're, maybe you're doing some of them really well, maybe not on others, but I think those are some pretty primary domains that need considered for a church to, to support home discipleship. Got it. Yeah. Seven pretty practical. Some of those things, yeah, churches are probably doing well. Some things to work out, some easy changes, yeah. some that would be harder to do. Cultivating that culture it takes time, obviously, but you know, some churches do a good job with elevating home groups yep. and strategic scheduling and all of that stuff. Yeah. So those are good, good, good things there. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, what variations do you anticipate for the future development of like home tools and home discipleship? Yeah, so let me let me start with some of the some of the variations there. I think that we need to think through what it looks like to disciple some 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 different home demographics that are on the rise. I, I alluded to this in in the last episode, but empty nesters. Um, how is the church um, creating tools that will help empty nesters who maybe the last like two plus decades of your life have been like husband and wife side by side to, to minister to these kids and to raise these kids to be like functioning adults that love Jesus. And you put so much time and effort and love and energy and all of that into these kids. And then there's a day when they're not there anymore. And you've spent two plus decades, you know, potentially of your marriage focusing on this mission field, which is your kids. And then you look at each other and you say, now what do we do? Well, the church should be thinking through a, a helpful way for them to say, well, maybe we have an influx in money because we're not <laughs> paying for all of this stuff for our kids anymore. May, we definitely have an influx in time. We definitely need to make sure that we have another uh, maybe targeted mission field together um, so that we're not just 
sitting and 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 maybe even getting frustrated. I mean, empty nester time. That's one of the highest, um, uh, one of the highest divorce divorce rate times is is when kids leave because uh, husband and wife have been so investing into kids that they haven't invested into each other and their marriages is is you know quite honestly pretty shallow at this point and the churches need to be very aware of that and thinking about how they can take care of their empty nesters when they step into that season um you have the uh, <laughs> the uh, humorously named dinks out there the double income no kids uh, <laughs> and that is on the rise you got these young professionals that are waiting longer to get married and then they're waiting longer to have kids after they get married they're Typically really busy if they're, you know, both working, but maybe they really have a lot of availability on their Saturdays and Sundays. Um, they might have a higher uh, cash flow because uh, they don't have kids, things like that. You just need to think through it. Uh, you have roommate situations where maybe it's college roommates and maybe you need to help teach one of your, you know, high school seniors who's going into a roommate situation how to be a spiritual leader with a peer. Um, and so maybe giving them some tools. Uh, there's there's an a lot of singles out there, people who are maybe young professionals that are waiting longer to get married. Maybe it's uh, people who have been divorced, maybe people who have been widowed, maybe people who just never have been married altogether. And and they can feel very easily ostracized in a home discipleship model if they're not considered and, and um, given the same uh, respect. Um, for their home situation. And so we want to encourage those types of homes to, um, to, to open their doors, have people over often, and, and to be hospitable and make sure that they're pressing into community rather than withdrawing from community. So those are some things that, that pastors will need to consider is what is the, the congregational makeup that you have? What are the demographics? What are the, you know, you know maybe start with whatever your highest demographic is, you know, Parents with young kids, they're at a really critical point in which they got to get some things set in place, um, you know, and, and they're really hungry for it, but you can't leave anybody out. So that's really important to not leave anybody out. And then, uh, you know, for, for pastors that are maybe hearing this and saying, uh, you know, I think we should make an effort in this direction, um, and th then some things that they're going to need to think through are, um, what is your current discipleship model with programs and how deeply ingrained is it? If you're a, a church plant, then you're building from the ground up and you've got a lot of flexibility to do things the way you want to do them. But if you're a church that's a little more historic and you've got some, uh, how shall we say, seasoned saints um, that, that were around when uh, things, you know, the golden years when things, you know, just went well, you know, and and, and they're, they're a little more resistant to change. Um, you have to remember, this is, this is shepherding that we're doing. And we have to shepherd people along in this process. That means that if you're in you know, one of those situations where you know, things are a little bit more set in stone, you might need a little bit longer time to see this type of transition take place to where you're really emphasizing homes. There's some things that you can do straight out the gates. And probably everybody's going to be cool with it, you know, like home tools giving those to your heads of homes, you know, I, I doubt anybody's getting upset about that. But when you start doing some other things, like you may, might be saying, we need to take some things off of our schedule, um, then you might start to get some pushback and you need to be prepared for that. And honestly, if you don't have the conviction that home discipleship is as important as I'm, as I'm communicating it, because I believe it's this important. If you don't have that same level of conviction, 
um, then 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 you know tread lightly because you might be upending things that if you don't have the conviction to see it all the way through might just end up in hurt and failed attempts and frustration. And so you got to count the cost before you you know you you take this radical of a of a shift that I'm promoting here. Um, and then another really key thing for church leaders to think through um, is who who's who do you have on staff and what impact is this going to have on their role? So you might have youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for a long time, so I like youth pastors. I'm pretty pro youth pastor, but maybe this means that the model that they've been working with might need tweaked and altered, and they might need to take on some responsibilities that were not a part of their job description before. And maybe that looks a lot like running some classes for parents on keeping them up to speed on cultural uh, happening that their kids are exposed to on TikTok and making sure that, you know, being maybe a, a voice of you know, youth culture for parents. Maybe it looks like contributing some other ways of partnering with parents. Look, I, I was in youth ministry a long time. Almost every youth pastor says that they're pro uh, partnering with parents. <laughs> I've seen very few actually have an effective strategy to actually partner with parents. In part, maybe the youth pastor's fault. In part, maybe the parent's fault for not wanting to listen to a 22-year-old. I, I don't know. You know, each situation is a little bit different, but what I'm just saying is, um, Youth groups partnering with parents is a nice is nice in theory, but oftentimes it's lacking in 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 its actual manifestation. And so, uh, you know, if you if you have a women's ministry director, uh, a men's ministry director, all those things, you just need to think through what are the implications of making this kind of shift. What what are the implications that are going to be made on their responsibilities uh, and 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 job descriptions and uh, you want to make sure you take care of your people in this process. You don't want to blindside people um, and, hey, everybody, all of a sudden we're now doing this tomorrow. So there you go. And, you know, you, uh, give give leeway time, you know, um, talk about this months before you actually implement anything. If you have, you know, that kind of a deep staff to where you are owning this philosophy as a as a ministry staff before you start to put it into practice, because you have to have unity on this. Um, uh, because it has to be a concerted effort um, to, to, to actually have a lasting impact. Mm. Nice. So, so that's, those are, those are some thoughts that I would give. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, let me just ask you this question. Why do you think we need another model for home discipleship? <laughs> Cause I have to pass this class, Mark. I told you <laughs> I, got, I, got, I had to write something, you know, no, you know, that's uh, multiple times throughout writing this dissertation, I would I would look at my wife and I'd say, why am I writing this? <laughs> There's so many good books out there. And I genuinely believe it. There are so many good books out there. I could give you a list of books that I would recommend that would be helpful for people to read. But what I found is, um, and, and again, I mentioned this a little bit in the last episode, is... Uh, I'm just not seeing, and this isn't my personal experience, so take it for what it's worth. I'm just not seeing a, a huge a long-term ownership of a lot of these family discipleship practices that are in these books. Um, they're, they're, they're almost like, you know, I, I use the, the analogy of kind of the, um, the New Year's resolution, where it, it's exciting. Uh, you go hard, and and a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, uh, 
you know, some of these family discipleship uh, paradigms that are out there in some of the the books and whatnot, some of them, you know, they're good. But then when you have, like I mentioned, the variations of life that, that come come about with schedule and now we have a new kid and now we're on vacation. Now I've got, you know, whatever, this other commitment for like eight weeks on this night. And, you know, when you have all of those things coming in, it just, they just don't seem to be lasting in my experience. And so I wanted, I wanted to find a way to help heads of homes to consider their particular home, the schedule that they have, that they've decided that they've had. Maybe you're going to, it's unrealistic for me to think that every family in my church is going to not do travel sports or is going to never give their, their teenager a phone, you know, like those are unrealistic expectations. And so uh, because each family is going to make different decisions about what they allow or what they commit to or how they schedule themselves, um, then there needs to be a paradigm that's as flexible uh, and as fluid as the different, you know, homes are. And so that's really what this is about is to say all of the good best practices and all of those family worship books, home discipleship books, those are great. Use what works, but be returning again and again to say, are we starting to fall off? Are we losing traction? Are we not going to be able to keep doing this in this next season of commitments, whatever it is. So that's, that's the heartbeat of, of the strategy that I'm trying to put together here. Yeah. No, I love it. Okay, great. I love it. So, so Luke, what, what are any recommendations you have for pastors listening or ministry leaders listening, considering implementing something like your home tools in, in, in church, in their church context? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned a few there. You need to, you need to have action yourself that this is, this is an effort worth making. Otherwise, it's just going to be another thing that you do, and it's probably not going to be the best thing that you do, and it's probably going to be something that falls away. And, uh, and it was a nice thought that never really bore any fruit. So you got to have conviction on this. There needs to be a consensus at your, at your, you know, your, your, your senior level, whether that's if you're governed by an elder board or whatever it is, or a pastoral staff team, whatever it is. There needs to be consensus there, um, and 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 you you just need to think through your church in in the same way that you know again I mentioned this back in the last episode too uh, the parallels between um, the way God calls homes to operate and the way God calls the church to operate um, there's so many parallels there so in the same way that I'm telling heads of homes and fathers to be both intentional and consistent you need to be that as well pastor. And um, I'm saying this to myself too, because we get so busy. We take on so many new commitments. We get so excited about different things and it's hard to follow through. And um, because lasting change can be monotonous and difficult and exhausting, and it can take a while to see the fruit of it. So, you know, it can be easy for us to lose the consistency on it. And it can be easy for us not to be intentional with it. Uh, but in the same way that we want our fathers to be intentional and consistent with their homes, we need to be intentional and consistent with our church. And so am I willing to go after this for the long haul and, uh, and to think through who are the families in my church and how can we best support them? Um, you know, us at North Park, we actually have like a, a significant um, percentage of people who have just, who are, who are older and have never been married. And, and 
like I said, I, I don't want to ostracize them. I want to serve, I want to shepherd them in the same way that I shepherd the young family with two young kids. I want to shepherd them both with this. I want both of them to have thriving and vibrant homes, but I need to know my people. I need to shepherd my people. And so I, I don't know the churches of the people who are listening to this. I know North Park and I'm called to serve North Park, but this, this paradigm is designed to be flexible that it can it can be implemented in any church makeup and so there's a way to do it but it, it, it's it's on you uh, to know your people to shepherd them well to see this kind of thing take root got it yeah being intentional right what'd you say at the beginning intentionality and yeah. consistency you know those are the huge things for that and you said that That's in the last it. episode yep and that's going to be if we're going to implement that. That's, that's going to make those changes. That's going to be come down to the intentionality, consistency as we trust God. So, all right, great, Luke. Any yeah. any last yeah, thoughts? You know, that's, oh, that, that's just what makes a good leader. <laughs> uh, I was just saying that, that's just what makes a good leader in general. <laughs> you know, being intentional, being consistent. You know, those are just important. So, yeah, no, I, I don't have any other last thoughts. I've, I've probably uh, said enough. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. Good. good <laughs> I got episode. a lot of thoughts after. All the, you know, I've been thinking of this, so. <laughs> well, good. You should have it. You just spend, you know, a lot of big chunk of your life writing it. So that's good. Good. Well, thanks for yeah, being here. I really yeah. appreciate you and and uh, sharing this biblical wisdom and insight from, from God to us. Uh, some good things here, some challenging things, things to think through, not only as individuals, but for our ministries, the people we're responsible for. So, uh, Luke, thanks again for your time, for your friendship, and uh, I love you, my man. And let me just sign off here. Stream Roots is a production of Barnabas right, Ministries. Thanks. Yeah, You can learn more at barnabasministriesmi.org, barnabasministriesmi.org. We release an episode every Monday morning. Stream Roots, drawing deep from the living water of God's Word.